everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So today I have on Stacy Chamberlain. Stacy is an award-winning PR professional in the D.C. area. She has leveraged relationships to advocate for nuanced positions while operating within complex and sometimes volatile political and media environments. In other words, she works with some tough clients. Um, She is the chairman of the board of the National Taxpayers Union and a trusted advisor and founder for other high-profile individuals and organizations. And she, again, runs her own PR company. I'm so excited to have her on today to talk about something interesting, her own adoption journey. She adopted an adorable now five-year-old little boy named Wit. I am so excited to have Stacey on with me today. Thanks for joining me, Stacey. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, I think I love your story. Um, I know about your story um, and have followed your story, and I love every single time you put up a Facebook post because you're hilarious. You're a very funny mom, um, but Wit could not be cuter. And I want to talk a little bit about the process that you went through of adopting Wit and um, and what it's been like. And, and, you know, as a single mom who kind of goes at, really from like, you know, you're this, you know, career lady, high-powered career lady, and then suddenly you're a mom, and that's a huge change. I want to talk a little bit about that transition and what it was like and people's reactions, their, you know, intrusive questioning. That I want to cover all of those things. But one thing I want to start off with, and I thought it was really interesting, when I asked you to come on my podcast, um, you know, you responded to me. You're like, I'd love to, but, you know, there's some there's some sort of, you know, parameters that I like to observe. And I thought it was really, really interesting about you told me, look, it's it's not it's not my role or really right to tell his story. Um, tell me a little, well, tell our listeners what kind of what you said to me and, and tell me a little bit about sort of that philosophy of telling your story, but not really speaking for, for wit. Yeah. I, I'll say first off, this is a thing that I had to learn about because I was going through an adoption process. So I say that to say, like, I have a lot of grace for people who almost all the time, their questions or comments, but mostly questions are out of love for me and my family and my son, right? I mean, I don't don't think anyone's kind of approaching me or our family with anything other than curiosity and love for us. But one of the things that I have learned, you know, anyone that has gone through adoption or training for for foster care probably too is um because you do a lot of training for both in the process um before you actually you know end up doing the adoption but um you learn that information around how a child comes to your family or the specifics around their circumstance for the reason they are not with their first parents um, and the reason they need an adoptive family or a foster family is, is really their information. Like they, they, it's hard to think of a newborn and think that they really own anything. Right. But we talk about in our community all the time about things like property rights and, 
and privacy and stuff like that. And so it was kind of a head shift for me to think about, okay, this little eight pound, 20 inch guy, he also owns, I know, I don't know how he was ever that small considering how, <laughs> how like stretched giant he is now, but, um, but like that they own their information and they own their story. Right. So I right. use this, it seems crazy, but I mean, it, it does illustrate. I use this story of like, if my mom came to you, my friend Julie, and wanted to tell you something about my birth, which was, you know, my mom carried me, she birthed me in a hospital many, many, many years ago. And <laughs> if she came to you, if she wanted to like share something about that birth story that was like private and you know, maybe it was like traumatic for her or something. How weird would it be if she went to you and told you <laughs> and, yeah. and I didn't yeah. know it. Right. Right. Instead of telling me. And so when you now that's different because we're adults, but it is kind of the same idea because, you know, you have this infant or this child, he's five now. He only has the capacity to understand so much about his story, and that's just because of his age. But the right. reason that you would kind of hold that information is because as a newborn, even as a five-year-old, he can't know all of the, the information and the circumstances yet, right? And right. so right. he should always be the first person to know anything about yeah. him. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the idea. And I think it does occasionally offend People, when I say, hey, that's not my information to share with you, that's wit, I think that yeah. they're taken aback a little bit because they might even be people that are close to us. But right. when it comes to questions about his first family, questions about their circumstances for needing to place him, it's just not, it's really not anyone's business but his and mine. Right. And mostly it's his information, but I have it because I'm the keeper of his life. Right. 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 And so I cringe because I remember a very specific moment many years ago that I asked an adoptive parent friend of mine, I asked them a specific question about their adopted child's birth mom. And they answered me in a very similar but diplomatic way. And I just remember being like, well, why does that matter that I can't know how old she was? Yeah. Like, why does that yeah. matter? But now I completely right. understand it, you know? So um, so when people ask about our adoption story, I often say, which is what I said to you, well, that's what story to tell if he ever chooses to, not mine. I'm okay talking about my adoption story yeah. as an adoptive parent and coming into the adoption, but I do not, I do not tell his adoption story because that's his. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, because I sort of am thinking back and now I'm I'm now I'll probably be cringing for the next several hours because I <laughs> um, I, re I actually remember asking someone about her adopted brother and mm -hmm. um, and sort of uh, it was an international adoption. And I was kind of curious about the country um, and the circumstances. And I asked more about the mm -hmm. circumstances in the country. And it, she ha she had that same kind of. Oh, and she kind of, I think she was finessing it more as like, I don't know, but, I, but it makes me, it mm -hmm. makes me now realize that she was essentially protecting him and, and, yeah. re and recognizing, recognizing and also respecting his story. So 
she then, of course, told me a lot about their journey as a family adopting, you know, doing an international adoption. They actually yeah. adopted two, two children, siblings. And she told these marvelous stories about how they prepared and sort of the mm-hmm. shock to their family. And that's a, it wasn't really a shock to their family, but it was sort of a, you know, just, you know, you have to, you have to sort of shift things oh, around a little bit. Oh, it's a 180 and, from day to day. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 180. You know, Stacey, we go way back. We have known each other, um, you know, sort of in, in the DC circles and the Liberty movement yeah. and, and and also, uh, you know, um, you know, we've we've actually worked on some projects together. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, and and we're good friends, and we see each other around town. But I've always seen you as you know, sort of this like high 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 you know, pressure professional woman, and you know, these high pressure jobs, and and uh, and sort of a girl back town. Like you're always the, the dinners and the receptions and stuff like that. And then and then you know, wit comes into your life, and I just do have to say, he is. The cutest. I've often written you and said, like, you better lock your doors because I'm going to come over and steal them. He really is so cute. And he's just, but you got him, you know, he's, you know, you, you're suddenly a mom. Your life has yeah. changed. Um, what was yeah. that like? I've always been curious about that. Like, how, that has got to be a big change. And, mm-hmm. and, and were you, did you have a lot of lead time? Is another question. Like, yeah. you know, this is coming or like, what was that kind of turnaround? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first, let me address his cuteness, which I will say for the <laughs> viewers. I mean, I, because we do not share DNA, I don't feel like I'm accidentally bragging about myself, but he <laughs> is so adorable. And the worst part about that is that he knows, he knows how cute he is. He will say, did you hear that lady last weekend, last Sunday? Did you hear that lady in church say that boy is so cute? Oh. I, I think she was talking about me. I was like, go get in a car. Does not keep him. Put your seatbelt on. But uh, yeah, he's he's adorable. He's got he's got he's cute. Um, okay, so you know what I say to people, um, and I'll go into the timeline a little bit. But what I say to people um, is like, I was pregnant for two weeks. <laughs> so can you imagine? You know, with okay. your three boys, you had somewhere between you know eight and a half and ten months. Yeah. of knowing, right? And so two weeks is kind of the that's the I kind of knew something was a maybe <laughs> for two weeks yeah. and uh for six hours I knew it was for sure before I went and met him at the hospital wow. when he was born and so and so when you think about all the things that you did um in the six months to prior to birthing your kids um you know, I had a couple hours. (laughs) So it really does force you to say what is important and what isn't um, as far as like the buying of things. Right. And you and I have a mutual friend um, and she was my, she, she was my, what was she? She was kind of the warehouse because when I had to, when I had to leave, this is what happened. He was born on Tuesday afternoon. um, And I, I I knew that he was being born, but had, you know, just this is in the bucket of things I don't talk about, but did not know if this would end up going forward or not. And so I was in D.C. He was born in Texas and um, I was just at my desk at work because what else was I going to do? And it was it was he was a planned C-section. And so I did know like it was that afternoon. And so was on the phone with my 
social worker all through the day, you know, getting great news that he and first mom were healthy and, and it went well and all that. Um, and then around seven or seven thirty, to your prior point about being career girl, of course I was still at the office working away right, at seven thirty right, at night. Right. And um, she she called and was like, "Hey, I I need you to come to the hospital." <laughs> what do you mean? I can't just come to a hospital in Houston. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't I can't. Or she actually said, "I think come by the hospital." I was like, "I can't come by Bye, anything in Texas." So, um, so you know, I left the next morning on a 6 a.m. flight and um, went straight to the hospital outside Houston. Um, but, you know, our, our mutual friend, she became, I mean, I ordered so much off of, you know, I don't know if it was Bye Bye Baby at the time or Amazon or whatever it was. Um, and just, it was all just shipped to her house because I had wow. to leave. And then I think a lot of people don't know, I mean, I didn't know about it, about the, these laws um, called ICPC, which are about moving children across state lines and they're really laws that are intended to protect children, um, particularly um, like trafficked children, but unfortunately adoption laws fall under that. And so when you adopt out of state, you actually end up living in that state for a little amount of time. Mine wasn't too bad. It was about two weeks. Um, wow. And so I had to, you know, I had to leave for two weeks. And so wow. she just became the, she got all the packages and everything. And I'll tell you, um, that was a Tuesday afternoon. I left Wednesday morning, you know, on a 6 a.m. flight and then went through kind of the process in Houston. And then like in a normal amount of time, you know, kids, I think babies are, you know, usually discharged at 48 or 50 hours or whatever that was. We were discharged and I yeah. took him to my hotel with me. I then took him to my hotel oh. with me. We sat on the bed. I opened up my computer and and emailed my my CEO and my boss and said, hey, I'll be back in three months. <laughs> <laughs> so so wow. that was fun. Um, yeah. So um, and I had a generous, you know, 12 week maternity leave. But um, I had no, I had just not told, told a lot of people because it was so early in the process. That yeah, typically you'd yeah, typically you'd expect a single mom adopting to at that time. It's very different now um, for lots of reasons, but at that time we kind of thought we, my social workers and I, kind of thought, you know what, if we don't get any bites um, in about eighteen months, like let's look at your profile book and see if we need to reassess. But it had been three months, and so it was just so unlikely that it would end in a placement that I just hadn't told people. Cause frankly, I didn't want well, everyone knowing. Sure. Sure. And well, look, I have a question that goes a little bit further, you know, yeah. I, and I, I feel like I keep referencing, you know, career girl, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, really busy at high pressure job, this all the time. At what point did you start? This is an enormous shift in lifestyle. It really is. It just is. And enormous. It's, Enormous. And so at what point had you started toying with this idea? Yeah, I or think, was there I think you know, if you, something that yeah. happened that, that like, you know, I don't I, I think, think the word triggered you, but what, what was yeah, it? No. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you had asked like 19 year old Stacy or even 24 or whatever year old Stacy, I probably would have said, you know, I hope in my future family, there's some adoption somewhere in it. Yeah. Right. Um, right. but I, that was making the assumption that some kind of Prince Charming was coming along and he just hadn't, 
and hasn't for any eligible bachelors out there. Um, You know, like just having come along and I got to 33 or something and I just, I just kind of, you know, like I would call it, I would call it, um, you know, like God moments, not, not everybody would, but I just, it just kept coming up. Like what? And finally one time, you know, I kept thinking, well, I'll, I'll just go to this initial meeting at this age, like the introduction meeting. And I'll just, I'll just see what it's about. Just so, so I know for the future. And I kind of left that meeting and thought, what am I waiting for? Like, what am I expecting to fall into place perfectly in my life? And it sort of hit me when I, I talked to a couple friends that were pregnant with first or seconds or whatever at that time. Um, and they were like, Stacey, no one's ready. <laughs> no one <laughs> yeah. ever yeah. is ever, yeah. ever, ever ready. So, and I, I just thought, okay, am I looking to like bank another couple thousand dollars? Am I trying, do I need one more world trip? Like what, what am I really waiting for? Yeah. And there's no yeah. good answer. And so I just went for it and it happened fast. And you're right. It was it, kind of a brick wall for me um, as far as like, know, life change, you know? You know, I try, I tell people sometimes, you know, I, uh, you just have to start, right? Like, cause when you, when you're like, yes. oh, you know, what, you know, if they, if they're, if they're really mulling over a big decision, you know, I say, you know, just, I get this a lot with writing. People are like, so, so how do you get started? I'm like, yeah, just write. You just like literally write, just write and then write That's the next day. Write the, you know, it really is just, just do it. Like, and you know, you're not, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's working a muscle, right. And, mm-hmm. and you gotta you know, practice. And, and, and I think in some ways that is just such a spectacular story because um, I, I don't think a lot of people actually then do it. They might think of this. What am mm-hmm. I waiting for? What am I thinking about? What I mm-hmm. always feel like I've always like, you know, they're, they're, I, I do this with a million things. What am I waiting for? What am I? And then I, but I end up not doing it. Right. I just keep like having these, it's so impressive that you did it, but it's funny because I suspect when you're like, okay, and you pull the trigger, you're like, I should be like waiting for at least, you know, six months and then boom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Here it was right in my happened. face. <laughs> you know, I will say, I will say personally, like, you know, I suddenly there was an email, you sent an email to, you know, sort of a large group of people saying like, Hey, introductions. And I was like, Wait, what, what happened? What happened? What? What? what what's going on? What's going on? You know, I, I was so shocked. And I, and, and it didn't, it actually, I didn't realize that, you know, you had just started this. I hate the word journey. I keep using it. But I hadn't realized that you started off on this path. There, that's better. This path. Yeah, a path. Um, a path. And, and it, it is really interesting that it happened so quickly. What is, if I can ask you a question, because I know you're, this isn't sort of directly what we are going to talk about, but you're in this adoption community yeah. now. I know you probably talked yeah. to other adoptees. Or adoptive we family. all know where each other um, are. Yeah. What? How has COVID? You know, I think about. I, you say like, get to the hospital. You know, but now there's all these restrictions on hospitals. Has, yeah. has this affected that process at all? So COVID has affected adoption as a whole significantly, um, and this has brought up, to be totally honest, a lot of questions for me um, about sort of foundational beliefs that I had. And when I say foundational, I don't mean like foundation to my life, which would be like Christianity, but sort of like policy questions that I have. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that's happened during COVID is that there are to kind of put it 
crassly, um, there are not as many children to adopt. And so if you're a family that's looking to grow your family in that way, it is much harder now than it was two years ago. Um, and by harder, I mean there are just very few children available. The reason for that, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of theories on the reason for that. Um, the the one that most um, experts are leaning on is that there are so many assistance programs right now, um, like the eviction moratorium, um, the increased unemployment, the increased child credit, that this, what, frankly, you and I might consider small amounts of money, smaller amounts of money, um, yeah. for for a lot of people are allowing them, instead of placing their child, to be able to parent them. And so, oh. and so, yeah, and so that's, that's the theory. Like, no one can prove these things because you can't go to women and say, well, why were you going to place them? Now you're not, right? Um, yeah, you don't know the what, yeah, what their intentions were. Right. Right. But the concern is that when these things end, which they are like rolling ending, right? Like, so a lot of states have pulled back on their increased unemployment and, and eviction moratorium keeps getting like, well, it gets another three months and three month, month extension, but it will end here eventually. That what happens then when these policies are pulled back and, um, these parents are, are not able to, um, then afford or they feel like they're not afford, uh, able to afford parenting. Are there then a bunch of one, two, and three-year-olds that are sort of in a, a situation that we're then, like, who are we relying on to kind of help fix that situation? And so um, so COVID has affected adoption in that, in that way, in available children. Um, and then, you know, I don't really know, like, I only really experienced D.C. and Virginia, which I think has, I think have treated COVID a lot differently than a lot of other places. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, places like Texas where Wit was born, my assumption is it just doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, I don't think there's as many like hospital rules and, and things like that. And so process wise probably doesn't matter all that much, but the biggest thing that's happened is kind of that there are far and there are agencies in, in turn that are really in trouble um, because they don't, they don't really have children to place. And so they are financially kind of underwater as well, which is just kind of the whole thing is fascinating to me. Well, I, I think there's a, a, a longer conversation to have here um, about also the state of foster care. And there certainly, oh is, not yes. a shortage. There certainly is not a shortage of children in the foster care system. 100%, and, yeah. And a lot of children are turned over or taken um, into foster care uh, because of either abuse, quality of parenting, mm -hmm. the, you know, substance. I mean, we, we don't have to so go many. to reasons yeah. we know them. But I, I, I see, I understand your point about these services being available to them, parent, then families, you know, or women, you know, mm -hmm. are able to keep their babies. Um yeah, there is concern that these kinds of services incentivize, um, you know, That's the right. kind of behaviors that lead to children suffering right. and then eventually turning over to foster care. And, and you know, we, and then what is the long term? 
right? right? I mean, right. how, and, right, it's easy to make a decision in the moment because there's an extra $600 a month, but that's right, not a long-term right. solution for your life or yeah, the child. Yeah, yeah. So I do worry, it's, it's just a, it's like a kind of really interesting kind of, I smell an Atlantic article coming out of this, Stacey, and <laughs> I'm not going to write it, but I do think... <laughs> Uh, I do think that this is um, this is interesting, and I think people, the closer you are to people who use these services, my sister is a social worker, and, mm-hmm. you know, she gets really tired of the, you know, sort of the right, you know, bashing every, you know, and I don't think mm-hmm. the right does, I don't think the right bashes every, you know, mm-hmm. uh, social service, but she gets, no. she gets a little, you know, she gets a real, t- a little bit angry because she really deals with some of these families who have literally had, you know, been pulled out of the fire because, um, you know, because of, of, of you know, the, the food stamps and other programs that have helped yeah. them. And certainly during COVID, we know that people are really struggling. So I'm, I am happy for some of those, those programs that help people over the hump. But then, goodness gracious, you know, you, know, you see the sign, help wanted out at your local restaurant. And these poor restaurants can't find anybody because, mm-hmm. or, you know, health home workers, we've done IWF has done quite a lot on the, this idea of home. You know, these are like assistant nurses, or they're not quite nurses. They're home care sort yeah. of. Yeah. It's sort of like the visiting angels, and and uh, and I don't, you know, I don't want that to get me in trouble. I don't actually know what qualifications the visiting angels have to have, but you get it. It's these home health care aides, and you know, we did a feature story on, you know, these home health care aides make a lot more money on, un- they make more money on unemployment. And then when they were extended, oh, you know, nice. we did a feature yeah. on a, on a man who's handicapped, who, who had to sit in his bed. He cannot move and had to literally hold his bladder for something like 17 hours. And this happened multiple days because this home health care worker just didn't come. Um, so, you know, again, like these are, these are really tough, tough issues. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think, you know, it's, it's interesting how you, you know, this sort of changed you a little bit on some of, you know, the policy issues that you might have held before, you see in a whole different light now. And I think when you do get close to those issues, that, you know, that mm-hmm. happens to all of us. Um, yeah, so I think it does, is, yeah. Wit is now five, is that right? He's five. That's right. I have to say is such a sweet age. Five-year-olds are super sweet, but five-year-old boys yes. are super crazy. Um, he is super crazy. Super, mm-hmm. Yes. Super crazy I can confirm, and super active. Yes. I I would not have been able to survive those years, you know, without sort of a network of, of people helping me, yeah. you know, and tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, sort of we're going to we're, we're concluding here this podcast, but tell yeah. me about this network of people who, you know, you're also a single mom, right? So how, yeah. how critical when, when people are considering this, tell me about making that a part of weighing this decision how important mm-hmm. it is to have a network of people. You mentioned our mutual friend um, as being yeah. a big part of that, but talk to me a little bit about your support. You know, I think going into it, I would, I did not really think of it. I knew I had great friends, right? Um, and that's awesome. I I didn't really know what it took to to have and build and maintain a really thoughtful community of people that that really love you and we have been blessed and privileged to kind of be in multiple communities where people do offer i i'm reluctant i'm the very typical you know i don't need your help uh person um but as particularly as covid has 
you know, roller coastered and school has been virtual here and there and things like that. I have had to say yes to people offering help, help. And that is hard for me, but it's been really, it's been really important. And it's also when you're a single parent, whatever your gender is, and then whatever parent is not at home or however that works for your family, you know, it's been really important for us, for me to provide male, um, kind of, I don't know if I'm trying to say input into which life. Yeah. And so we have a lot of strong men around us who I know, even if I've never talked to them about it, some of them I have, but if if I've never talked to them about it, like they know that it's important that if they're out with their kids and, and my kid is out there too, they know I'm probably not teaching him great basketball throwing techniques. And so (laughs) they step in, you know, and it's not all the time We're he's five. We're not into the big, big talks yet. Right. Where I think right, I will right. intentionally tap some of them in. Right. But, um, yeah. we've got this amazing, um, older, uh, black gentleman who is our barber, who has had some tough conversations with wit about things he can do and cannot do. Um, yeah. and we have amazing neighbors who have taught him how to, um, better throw a basketball than me just being like, Hey, there's a net, just put it towards there. Um, and you know, and his, his, his papa and his uncle and these kind of great friends we have really do show him some of these things. And I am so grateful, but I, I do think I did not know the importance of that before we were in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so to people thinking about it, now, thankfully, when you go through a home study and the adoption process, they they make you intentionally think about your community um, in a couple different facets. But that, you know, you do want to make sure that that's there. Um, and and if not, like, start growing that now, you know, and be thinking about, like, who is it that when I have COVID or I'm thrown up in the middle of the night or whatever it is, if your parents aren't close, like, who is going to drive your kid to school the next morning or who yeah. – who can let you take a two hour nap because you're sick or, you know, I, I emergency had my appendix out three years ago and couldn't lift my kid into his crib because you can't lift right after that. And there's no one else in my house. So like, who's going to do these things for you, you know? And so thinking about that beforehand is really, really important. You are such an inspiration. I hate to put you on, uh, on, on sort of, I, I usually ask guests beforehand to think of this stuff, but, you know, are there, uh, um, what are your thoughts on life? No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, what's the meaning of life, Stacey? No, I, I just wanted to ask if there are any specific resources, online forums, online groups, um, you know, uh, agencies that kind of deal with these questions and help guide people yeah. through things is there you know any any particular one or a few that you would advise people if they're considering this in their own life mm-hmm. yeah so I think agencies are usually helpful but there's um there's one kind of central learning place which is called adoption learning partners and if you go through a home study you'll have to log hours with them because you have to go through particular trainings but you can there are a lot of free courses and by courses I mean maybe it's like an hour-long video um, and you can get, um, some great resources there. Um, and then, you know, for people considering this, like I always, I wasn't in a position to do this as a single parent and the only income, but if you're thinking about this stuff, please first think about older children and foster, 
there is such a huge need to adopt and foster older, like non-newborns. Um, and so if that's something your family can do, it is so much work, but I know so rewarding. Please always consider that first. I did. I didn't think I could do it. And I didn't think I could do it better than other people could. But always consider that first because it is where the greatest need is. Stacey, that is such great advice, and I can't tell you how happy I am to have talked to you today. I really think you uh, are really shedding light on an important aspect of, of adoption, the respecting of, of the adopted child's own story, um, the the sort of just attitude of, like, let's just do this, which I think is is really, really important, and what you said at the end of you know, consider fostering, look at older children. It is a great need in this country, especially at a time because of COVID where there aren't as many sort of newborns or children um, right. of a certain age uh, available. So again, I can't thank you enough. You are definitely uh, a, a, an example of bespoke parenting, uh, parenting in, <laughs> in somewhat different, different circumstances. And thanks for yeah. uh, sharing your story today. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.